to the She Who Overcomes podcast. I'm Mandy B. Anderson, and a few years ago, I started a life and business coaching company with my bestie. I'm a wife, a business owner, a coach, a speaker, and the author of the book that inspired this podcast, She Who Overcomes, Rising Out of the Ashes of Your Circumstances. I'm also training to run my first half marathon. Oh, and did I mention I'm doing all of this while overcoming a life-threatening illness called cystic fibrosis? It's true. And hey, if I can rise up, so can you. Each week on this podcast, I'll be here to encourage and equip you with the skills you need to rise up as the successful overcomer you were designed to be. So grab your coffee and let's hang out. Hey guys, welcome back to the She Who Overcomes podcast. I'm so excited to spend another week with you. And before we dive into uh, the next chapter of my book, I want to give a shout out to a few more people. And hey, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for commenting, sharing, uh, leaving reviews. I really do appreciate it. And I had I have to tell you, I find it kind of funny. Right now, as I'm recording this, the most listened to episode is episode six, The Courage to Resolve Conflict. So if you haven't listened to that yet, guys, it's kind of the most popular, so maybe go listen to it. It's episode six. Um, But thank you so much for tuning in each week. And let me pull this up here. I'm trying to do too many things on my phone all at once. And I just want to give a shout out to a few more listeners, because I just am so, so thankful that you hang out with me every week on this podcast. I absolutely love it. So uh, this next one is, um, okay, well, first of all, this is a shout out to somebody named First Jumper, and I know who it is. It's one of my very favorite people in the world. I'm I'm almost positive. But um, she says, Mandy has an amazing way of drawing you into her history and listening to her tales of overcoming all adversity she has faced in her life. Mandy remains invested in those she coaches. She is real and raw and authentic and a breath of fresh air in today's world. So thank you for that first jumper. Real, always. I love it. Um, Okay, here is another one. This one is from Jen. And Jen says, um, if you feel down, discouraged, uncomfortable, or just plain sad, then you need this woman in your life. Mandy will tell it like it is, even when it stings a bit, and challenge you to be an overcomer too. Dive in and get started now. Um, thank you for that, Jen. And uh, I think Jen might be one of the people that we have on the podcast in the future. So we'll find out. Um, I'm in the process of scheduling interviews right now to highlight other people's stories as we finish my story in you know, the audiobook form that we've been doing. But um, this week, we're just going to dive right in, okay? So the next chapter of my book, we only have two left, is uh, She Wears the Wardrobe of an Overcomer. And this one is all about being redeemed of weakness. So let's dive in. If you were to find me on Pinterest and search my Pinterest boards, you would find one titled Fabulous Outfits. It is here where I pin everything that I wish could be in my closet. In this virtual closet board, there are fabulous sweater dresses, shirt dresses, skinny jeans with high heels, photos of full outfits pieced together, 
jackets, scarves of all different sizes, boots, stiletto heels, strappy belts, ideas for hats, and even a shoeology guide so I always have the right shoe paired with the right outfit. On and on it goes. It's a never-ending closet to spur on inspiration for whatever fashion I feel like emulating on any given day. So at the time that I wrote this, the board was packed with over 521 pins. And I am sure right now, there's way more than that. Okay, I could totally go look, but then I would get sidetracked by all the fabulous outfits. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just keep going because there's a point. A lot of girls love dressing up and wearing fashionable clothes, and I am one of them. We already established when we read chapter four a couple episodes ago that shopping addictions have been something I've struggled with from time to time. Well, we live in the information age now where anything we want to know can be found out in a few quick minutes with the swipe of a finger and a wireless connection. Anytime we want to buy something, we can get with or without cash in hand. It can be delivered to our doorstep within the week. It's weird, right? And awesome all at the same time. We work to live the American dream, and yet the more we get, the less we have of what really matters most. Have you noticed that? Yeah, the more we get, the more stuff we get, the less we have of what really matters most. Something's got to be done about that. So the treasure chest of an overcomer is filled with priceless riches that can't be found on Pinterest. They can't instantly be ordered online in a digital world. They are often unseen by the naked eye, yet more important and more valuable than all the money and material possessions this earthly world can give. John talks about these things in Revelation 3, 15 through 21, the message version. He says, I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. You brag, I'm rich. I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious that in fact, you're a pitiful blind beggar threadbare and homeless. Here's what I want you to do. Buy your gold from me, gold that's been through the refiner's fire. Then you'll be rich. Buy your clothes from me, clothes designed in heaven. You've gone around half naked long enough. And buy medicine for your eyes from me so you can see, really see. The people I love, I call to account. Prod and correct, and I guide so that they'll live at their best. Up on your feet, then, about face. Run after God. Look at me. I stand at the door. I knock. If you hear me, call and open the door. I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. Conquerors will sit alongside me at the head table, just as I, having conquered, took the place of honor at the side of my father. That's my gift to the conquerors. All right, guys, did you catch it? Did you catch those words from Revelation? Did you find the treasure? If not, that's okay. We're going to dig for it together. Because in this passage are rich treasures of character, faith, persistence, and courage. 
He says, buy your gold from me, gold that's been through the refiner's fire. Then you'll be rich. As I was reading through this, I felt God speak to my heart. And he said, the gold that's been through the refiner's fire symbolizes character, faith, persistence, and courage. We often sing about the refiner's fire in worship songs, right? Like I remember singing that at camp when I was growing up. But it's only when we've walked through it that we can finally begin to understand it. Only then can we behold the beautiful gold that's on the other side. I don't know if you know this, but the process of refining gold can give us some insight into how this works spiritually. The most common methods available use either chemicals or fire. The first method involves placing the the gold in strong acids that dissolve the impurities. This process is effective, yet it does not bring about the best refinement. Placing the gold in fire, the second method available to purify gold, brings about a 99.99% purity, but it's a dangerous process. Using fire for refinement requires the goldsmith to place the gold in flames exceeding temperatures of 1,832 degrees Fahrenheit. As he does this, he must stay right beside the flames, keeping an eye on the gold. Can you imagine standing close to flames that are that hot? If he takes his eye off of the gold, he risks overheating it and ruining it. Throughout the process, he pulls the gold in and out of the flame, diligently shaping it. He knows the gold is purified when he can see his reflection in it. Let's read that sentence again. He knows the gold is purified when he can see his reflection in it. Doesn't that give you goosebumps and chills? Think about it. The goldsmith knows that the gold is refined because he can see his reflection in it. In the same way, God knows our hearts are refined when he can see his reflection in us. Remember in chapter two, when we talked about how we must be persistent during our seasons of suffering? That is refinement. In those seasons of suffering, God is keeping a close eye on us. He is shaping us through the fire of suffering. When we come out of the flames of that season with a stronger faith and persistence to keep going, we come out shining with his reflection. Remember in other chapters, chapters 6, 7, and 8, how we talked about embracing the courage to be authentic, face our fears, and keep going when things get hard and look uncertain? That is refinement. In those seasons of growing and not giving up, God is keeping a close eye on us. He is shaping us through those experiences. When we come out of the flames of those seasons with more courage and character than we went in, we come out shining with his reflection. The process of refinement can't be fun for the gold. I mean, I like to sometimes attach feelings to things. So think about this. If gold had feelings and if gold could speak, it would probably cry and grumble each time it was placed in those hot flames. I mean, honestly, it might sit there and be like, no, 
don't put me back in. Right? Like, can you imagine that? Just imagine it. Well, the process of refinement isn't fun for us either. It hurts. It stretches us. It burns off the impurities that keep us dirty and grimy. In the process, we might feel abandoned or hopeless and even completely helpless. We don't always see that our goldsmith is right beside us because the flames are so bright, they block our vision. But he's there. And in the end, we come out 99.99% purified. In the end, it is worth it. Character, faith, boldness, courage, persistence, all of these things and more are the result of going through the refiner's fire. No riches in the world can replace those qualities. They are the true riches that God is speaking about in these verses. Total side note here, you guys. I am being completely convicted right now and encouraged as I read this because these words were written back in 2015. And now I'm recognizing that I am in a whole new level of refinement. I have felt all of these things in the last several months. I have felt abandoned by God, hopeless. I've even felt completely helpless in some situations. But reading this to you and remembering this process is reminding me right now as I'm recording this on May 17th, 2019, that I'm in a new level of refinement. How cool is that? Wow. Okay, back to the book. That was just a little side note. Now that we've identified what comes out of the process of refinement, it's time to talk about some fabulous accessories that God has put together for us to create the perfect outfit for an overcomer. So this part of the book is called My Pinterest Closet is Fake, But My Spiritual Wardrobe is Real. Buy your clothes from me, clothes designed in heaven. You've gone around half naked long enough. I love that line from this verse in Revelation. Have you ever noticed that we often wear our weakness like a straitjacket? It binds us up and everyone else can see it. We can't. We can feel it. And honestly, we must cut these stark white belts of restriction off of us and put on an outfit that is much better suited for the beautiful woman or man that God has created us to be. We've been created to be a person of strength. And it's time to put on the wardrobe of an overcomer. So about this Pinterest board I was talking about, if you haven't yet gone into Pinterest, heed my warning now and stay away. Save yourself from the pinning trap. Seriously. But if you must get dragged into it, then be forewarned that you're going to reach a moment where you'll wish that your Pinterest closet was real. I sure wish mine was. But I have spent so many hours, hours and hours, pinning leopard scarves and fun dresses and dazzling belts and who knows what other wardrobe necessities into this fake virtual closet of mine. It's great for inspiration, yes, but let's be real, it's not a real closet. I can't pick out an outfit on Pinterest and choose to wear it like, like, what's her name from Clueless? When she, like, remember that show? When she goes through and she gets to put her outfits together and she just clicks a button and ta-da, 
it picks it out of her closet. Yeah, that's not how Pinterest works, guys. Sorry. I wish it was. But I can't go pick out an outfit on Pinterest and choose to wear it if I haven't actually bought all the pieces. The outfit only becomes a real thing for me to wear when I go to the store, purchase every item, or go to the website, purchase the item, and bring it home and place it in the confines of my real closet. In the same way, we can't put on our spiritual wardrobe if we haven't put all the pieces in our real spiritual wardrobe. All the pieces are there on display for us, but it is up to us to grab each piece, take the price tag off, and put on each item. God has specifically designed a fabulous wardrobe for those who aspire to overcome, so we don't have to walk around spiritually naked or half-naked anymore. And these items, this wardrobe of an overcomer, it includes fashionable accessories such as a heart of compassion, kindness, and humility. He's even added some bling with sparkles like gentleness and patience. And not only that, he's given us a bulletproof vest of righteousness that puts the enemy's gear to shame. So let's take a peek at each item in the overcomer's wardrobe so we can be sure to wear it every single day. They really are the most important items you'll ever put on. The first item is the belt of truth. Girl, strap that belt on as tight as you can because there will be moments where the lies and labels that we discussed earlier in chapter seven will try to steal it away from you. As you can about imagine, this belt doesn't exactly go around our waist. No, it actually goes around our hearts and our minds. It keeps us secure and it holds all of the other accessories of the spiritual wardrobe in place. We must stand firm in the truth each and every day. And the simplest way to do that is to actually spend time in God's word, the truth, each and every day. The second is the breastplate of righteousness. This is the most fabulous bulletproof vest ever designed. The purpose of a breastplate and a bulletproof vest is to protect our vital organs in combat situations. With this item securely in place, we find the boldness to step out and conquer territories that would otherwise make us cower in fear without it. Confidence and boldness comes when we know who we are in Christ and we're secure in our righteousness. So strap on that bulletproof vest and wear it proudly. Be bold and confident. Of course, we can't forget our shoes. After all, shoes are the most important pieces, in my opinion. These shoes are a bit different than your average pair, though. These shoes fit your feet perfectly, but they each have a different word written on them. The right shoe says readiness, and the left one says peace. When we wear these shoes, we're able to foster an atmosphere and attitude of peace. We are also fully equipped and ready to be used of God in every situation. Okay, we can't forget the fourth one. We must remember our shield of faith. I like to think of faith like a beautiful fireproof umbrella with strength of steel that I hold up to keep from getting drenched in the rain of doubt and despair. Pull it out and shield yourself with it when the flaming arrows of the enemy come flying at you. When the flaming arrows of worry come at you or doubt come at you, bring out your 
shield of faith. Just pop it right out there. Carry it with you at all times, even when the sun is shining, because even on bad days, sometimes the enemy can send arrows at you. Have enough faith to see things that others can't see and always be ready. The next accessory that is essential is the helmet of salvation. Now, I'm not a big fan of helmets because they mess up my hair. So I like to think of this helmet more like a hat, a hat that protects my mind from lies and labels that the enemy tries to distract me with. When you have the helmet of salvation on, you're able to shut the door on doubt and know that your salvation is secure in Jesus. And finally, we need our weapon. Yes, girl, this outfit requires a weapon, the sword of the spirit, also known as God's word. Carry this weapon like a great female spy would carry a vibrant tube of red lipstick embedded with a secret knife that's laced with deadly venom. Yeah, if you don't know this about me, I love spy shows. Chuck, one of my favorites. Sarah, she was like my favorite all-time spy. Pretty sure she had a tube of lipstick with a knife in it. Yeah, so pretend that it's like this. And when you bring this sword out or you speak it and you let the words roll off of your lips, it cuts through the lies and brings life to all who hear it. Now, here's the thing, because with any weapon, you have to learn how to use it and how to use it well. So study God's word daily. Diligently work at applying it every day. Write it on your heart in the morning and throughout the day. And when you do, you'll be fully equipped to use it as the weapon it is designed to be. Now, a bonus accessory that we cannot neglect is prayer. It's an essential part of overcoming anything. The message version of the Bible describes all of these items of the spiritual wardrobe in the following way. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. That's from Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, the message version. I encourage you to study the full armor of God until you understand it enough to put it on each and every day. Ask God to reveal the hidden meanings to you and how you can apply this in your own life starting this week. The next portion of the book is called, Do You See What I See? And it goes into this this part of the, the scripture that says, and buy medicine for your eyes from me so you can see, really see. When we choose to listen to God and go after the treasure of strengthening our spiritual eyes so we can see what God sees, crazy things start to happen. We begin to overcome in new ways because we see things in a new light. I can best describe this by sharing with you the revelation that God gave me through a string of dreams. I hope this doesn't creep you out. I find dreams to be some really cool things, especially 
when they're like prophetic dreams where there might be meanings in them and God might be talking to you. It's a real thing. I just find it fascinating. So I got to tell you this story because during a 21-day spiritual fast several years ago, God spoke to me through several dreams that all had to do with my eyes. The first two dreams took place in war zones, and I kept getting my eyes covered with mud or chemicals. The last thing that would happen in each dream was an explosion that covered my eyes, leaving me with this sense of desperation and defeat. I would wake up wondering what was going on, sensing in my spirit that these dreams were about some sort of spiritual warfare that I was either already in or about to enter. The last dream I had involved me searching for a very expensive brand of mascara at a party. Now, I I know right away, it sounds like how does mascara and war dreams line up? Well, let me tell you, this dream was clearly not about any type of warfare. However, the similar theme of eyes was something I couldn't ignore. There was something God was trying to tell me. So, I wrote it all down and I paid attention. In this dream about mascara, I was at a very distinguished party in a mansion. The clinking of wine glasses could be heard beneath the hum of guests laughing and talking. Somewhere in another room, the beat of the bass could be heard, inviting people to dance. I strolled through each room, admiring the stark modern decor of white, black, and red. In my heart, I had this sense of urgency— So I kept winding through the house, even though I noticed there were celebrities and friends that I wanted to talk to. The glitz and glamour of this place was like nothing I had ever seen before, and it was difficult not to be distracted by it. I found myself wandering up a beautiful winding staircase that was positioned in the foyer where a dazzling crystal chandelier hung from the ceiling. At the top of the stairs, I saw a booth, and in this booth was a display of makeup. Sitting on the top of the table was this silver tube of mascara that I had been searching for all night long. I began walking toward it, and then suddenly I woke up. So my first thought upon waking from this strange slumber was, okay, God, are you telling me to start taking off my eye makeup at night? Because, you know, if you're a beauty expert, don't hate me, but I I barely took my mascara or my makeup off at that time. It's something I'm working on now, and I do a much better job, but back then I didn't. So this really didn't make sense to me. All morning long, I thought about this dream, and I wondered what was wrong with my brain to care so much about makeup that it showed up in my dreams. I walked into the bathroom, and I began getting ready for the day. And as I was putting the final touches of makeup on my face, I found myself in a conversation with God, still on the the meaning of this dream. And I felt him ask me, hey, Mandy, what does mascara do? Well, I replied, and I did reply this out loud. Like the only person who could hear me at the time was my dog, Ajabi. But I was talking to him out loud. I'm like, well, it defines your eyes. Right, he said. Mandy, I'm defining your spiritual eyes during this time so that you can see things in a new light. When I heard that, suddenly all three of these prophetic dreams made sense to me, and the mystery of the mascara and the covered eyes in the war zone was revealed. You see, sometimes our spiritual eyesight is weak, 
When we aren't conditioned to see things by faith, or we don't take the time to ask God for clarification, we miss what God is trying to reveal to us. It takes a trained eye to see it. So, we must activate persistence in strengthening our spiritual eyes. We must be courageous and willing to look at things through a new lens. We must be willing to buy medicine for our eyes from God so we really can begin to see. The wardrobe of an overcomer is filled with character, faith, persistence, courage, all of those important accessories known as the full armor of God, righteousness, and a strength and eyesight that only comes from God. They all work together and they're important tools we need in order to be victorious and overcome. But the reality is sometimes we miss the mark because of our own weakness and our own lack of spiritual maturity. In those situations, we must recognize that God is redeeming our weakness and correcting us because He loves us enough to do so, just like He mentions in Revelation 3, 15-21. He says, The people I love, I call to account. I prod and correct and guide so that they'll live at their best. Up on your feet then, and about face. Run after God. Have you ever had one of those mornings? Maybe the kids woke up sick, or you spilled your coffee all over the kitchen floor, and then your fluffy white puppy pranced through it, spreading coffee sludge footprints all over the house. Or maybe you can relate to the way one of my Friday mornings started out. See, normally when I wake up, the first thing I do is strap myself into my vest for a 30-minute breathing treatment. That's where I pull out my Bible, my journal, and a colored pen to spend time with God. This is what sets the course for my day. It gets my heart right. It helps my mind focus on truth. It keeps my attitude chipper. However, on this particular Friday morning I'm talking about, my routine was all out of sorts due to some blood work that I had to do at the hospital. So I quickly got out of bed, threw my hair up in a messy bun, put on my workout clothes that were hanging on the floor. They weren't hanging on the floor. They were piled on the floor. And then I left the apartment. You guys, full disclosure, apparently, all of my spiritual accessories were left behind in a pile on the floor where my workout clothes were because my spiritual eyesight was blurry and filled with that icky, crusty sleep thing, and my attitude was horrible. My plan that day was to get to the clinic, do the blood work, and then get back home to do my treatment, spend time with God, and shower. All of this was going to take no more than an hour tops. That was my plan. Things rarely go as planned, right? So the blood work I had to do was a glucose test. It's that fasting one where you go in super hungry and you can't eat until it's over. And in between the pricks and the pokes, they make you drink that sugary orange liquid that at first tastes like orange pop, but then it quickly becomes disgusting. Yeah, that one. That's a yearly test I have to do for CF-related diabetes. So, you know, we got to stay on top of it. But the first thing I noticed that day when I entered the lab was that Jan was not behind the desk. Jan was the receptionist who had been there since I was a kid, and I always looked forward to chatting with her. But that day, no Jan. Instead, there was a very flustered phlebotomist behind the computer trying to check patients in, answer the phone, do the paperwork, and all the other tasks that were clearly not her cup of tea based on her facial expression. She looked up at me, 
checked me in, and very sharply tried to explain the glucose test to me. It really felt like she was trying to explain it more to herself than to me, because she really wasn't talking to me, but at me. I shrugged it off and smiled, and took my seat in the waiting room. Shortly after that, my name was called, and my blood was taken by a much friendlier phlebotomist. That was at 8.15 a.m. I was told to hang around in the waiting room until they were called with some blood levels so they knew how much juice to give me. So there I sat. 8.25 a.m. 8.30 a.m. 8.45 a.m. As the minutes ticked by, my patience and anxiety began to rise. Now, I must warn you, this is the part of the story where the evidence of my spiritual nakedness shows up. I am not proud of it. It had been 40 minutes by the time I stood up, and no one, no one, had addressed the fact that I had been there that long, even though we had established eye contact several times. So I walked over to the desk, and before I could open my mouth, the rude one looked at me and said, our system is down, so we had to send someone over to a different lab for the results. It's going to be a while. And then she glared at me. Okay, I'm not proud of this, but I've already told you I didn't spend my time with God that morning. And like I said, I was in my gym clothes with my hair in a messy bun, no spiritual accessories adorning my sloppy outfit, so I was slightly depleted in my patient's kindness tank. I mumbled a sarcastic comment, something along the lines of, so basically my morning is shot then. Okay, great, thanks. And then I glared back at her with the fakest smile I could manage. I took a deep breath, walked back to my seat, pulled out my phone, and then I opened up my Kindle app to read the Bible because apparently I knew that my attitude sucked, and in that moment, I felt the need for an intervention. So as I was thumbing through the pages looking for Psalms, I felt a nudge. Have you ever felt a nudge like that before? Like, after you've said something you shouldn't? You know, that nudge? I felt that nudge. And then I heard God say to me, patience, they will know you by your actions. That's when I noticed my actions in that moment weren't exactly shining God's glory. So I had to come to Jesus moment and continue talking to him. And you know what he did? He made me wait for another 40 minutes. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yes, he did. And even though I wasn't initially thrilled about this, I took a deep breath and began to see the opportunity that he had placed right in front of me in the midst of my impatience. With the gentle nudge to read his word, and by opening up my time to do so right then and there, I had nothing else to do but wait, he began the process of redeeming the weak areas of my heart that had indulged in selfishness, irritability, and rudeness. His words brought conviction and eventually forgiveness and repentance. He was prodding, correcting, and guiding me right then and there so I could be my best. Well, by the end of that morning, I had a renewed attitude. I was able to identify how important our spiritual wardrobe really is and what happens when we don't put on even a few pieces each day. For instance, because I forgot my belt of truth, The lies began screaming in my head as I waited and waited and waited and waited. 
The lie said, you're so impatient. What a selfish person you are. You're a horrible example to others. And they just forgot about you on purpose. You guys, none of those things were true. I'm not selfish. I'm not impatient. I'm not a horrible example of a person. And they didn't forget about me. I was, however, a person who had a moment of weakness and displayed some attitudes that were not quite right. If I would have had my feet fitted with the right shoes, I would have been able to walk in peace and been ready with patient words and actions. But I wasn't. Nope. Not at all. There was clearly no peace to be found anywhere around me that morning. At least not until I opened God's word and let him begin the redemption process on my weaknesses. Maybe you can relate to this feeling. The thing is, we don't always get it right. We are human, and sometimes we give in to our human emotions instead of the spiritual prompting from our Heavenly Father. What we put on each day and how we see things is so important. It impacts the world around us more than we realize. Overcomers allow God to redeem their weaknesses. They aren't satisfied with anything less than true riches. They seek out God's treasure chest filled with true riches like refined gold, a spiritual wardrobe, and that strengthened spiritual eyesight. So my friend, it's time to stop chasing the American dream and start going after God's dream. It's time to quit gazing in our Pinterest closet with a look of longing, and it's time to start grabbing hold of the spiritual wardrobe right in front of us. He designed us to overcome the powers of darkness and deception, and he's fully equipped us to do so successfully. We will be back with another episode for you next week. For now, if you would take a moment and write a review or subscribe to the podcast, that means the world to those of us who work so hard to produce every single episode. For more information, go to BigBlueCouchCoaching.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram under Big Blue Couch Coaching. A shout out to my hubby, Mr. Nate Anderson, for editing this podcast. And most importantly, I hope that you found something today that gave you the courage to rise up and overcome that thing that you've been facing. You're stronger than you think. I'll see you next week.